future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, 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 welcome, welcome. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is a Monday, November 13th, 2023. Can you believe it? I don't know if I can believe it. Can you believe it is the big question. Yes. Whoo, incredible. It is Raging Chicken's Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. And Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts right from our own backyards and across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to us on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there. You can help, also help support this show, becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress, and you can help out the show while you're listening. Over on our YouTube channel, you're not there already smash that subscribe button like the stream for this show and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live and if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on and leave a comment to let folks know why you like the show little things like this help other people find the show for more pa progressive talk tune into the rick smith show's live stream at 9 p.m eastern on his youtube channel twitter or facebook subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast check out ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms and you've got to check out the sisters of the night caucus podcast if you haven't already the amazing pa women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house and they know where the bodies are buried make sure to follow them on twitter at, at the night caucus that's at the night caucus on twitter and subscribe to their podcast on anchor well that's all spotify now itunes wherever you get your podcast you're going to find them there and of course, The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal shines a light on right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. And if in case you missed it, they've also just launched there over the Beacon a new Gen Z-focused and host hosted podcast called The Civic Circle. The episodes are out and they rock. Check out all the podcasts at the buckscountybeacon.podbean.com or get all the info at buckscountybeacon.com. And for all you gamers out there, the Game In, that's with two N's, the Game In is a Quaker Town based black family owned gaming store. They're friends of the show and they've got everything from Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts so they get A's on the report cards. Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them at Twitter at, at the game in. That's with two N's at the game in on Twitter. Got a question about a game, look for something hard to get. Shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Special shout out, of course, goes to Jonathan Mann who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. You can check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter. I should say formally Twitter, now X. Uh, at Song of Day Man, that's with two N, at Song of Day Man on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. Well, I'm looking forward to today's show, everybody, and I know you are too. On tonight's episode, I'll be talking with Jennifer Cohn about her article, Moms for Liberty and the Dominionist Assault on America's Education Mountain, 
published in the Bucks County Beacon. Cohen unmasked the extremist Christian nationalist agenda shared by Moms for Liberty and organizations on the Christian right, the Christian supremacists. The Christian nationalist agenda, oh, I'll tell you, it's pretty nasty. We'll also talk about the significant losses by Moms for Liberty-backed school board candidates in November's elections, both here in PA and across the country. Does this signal the beginning of the end for Moms for Liberty and Christian nationalists? I'll put my money on no. Or will they double down on their radical agenda heading into the 2024 presidential election? Jennifer Cohn is an attorney, election integrity advocate, and political essayist. In addition to her writings on elections and Christian nationalism for the Bucks County Beacon, her writing has appeared in the New York Review of Books, Who, What, Why, The Independent, TYT Investigates, The Brad Blog, and Salon. You can follow Jenny on the platform formerly known as Twitter at, at Jenny Cohen, that's J-E-N-N-Y-C-O-H-N-1, and on Mastodon at Jenny Cohen at toad.social. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Hello, how are you? Can you hear me? I'm uh, doing okay. Um, yeah, I got you. I got you. We got a little bit of a delay, everybody, so that's, so, that's okay. Don't wor- no worries, no worries. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, after last week's elections, a little bit better. As we were talking about before the show, I'm in the Penridge School District, so we're in the thick of exactly the stuff that you're writing about in your piece. Um, but before we jump into this, um, the specifics of your article and looking at these connections between the Dominionists, Christian supremacists, Moms for Liberty, and a host of other cast of characters on the Christian right, maybe you can give us a little sense of how you kind of got into this work, right? How you got interested in following them. Like, I guess it's kind of like a version of the question, like, like how did a nice person like you end up a place like this? <laughs> yes. So what happened is I started writing about politics um, after the 2016 election, probably in early 2017. And I was concerned about the, at the time, I was concerned about the attacks on our election infrastructure by Russia. And I felt that that was an area where that could use more sunshine because as the government was trying to kind of downplay the severity of the attacks on our election infrastructure, I could find from independent sources, independent media experts that it was actually worse than they were saying. So I became, I began writing Mm -hmm. about that and became an election integrity advocate um, where I spent a lot of my time explaining what was needed to improve the system so that we wouldn't have to have these concerns in the next election. And my work gained national attention. Senator Ron Wyden's office reached out for my input on an election security bill that I put a lot of time into promoting called the SAFE Act. An earlier version of it was called the PAVE Act. And it was a good bill, but the Republican Party led by Marcia, Senator Marsha Blackburn blocked it. And Trump himself, or the Trump White House, had blocked another bill in 2018, another election security bill that was bipartisan called the Secure Elections Act. So they wanted no interest in securing the election heading into in securing the 2020 election as we headed into it. They seemed to want foreign interference in the election. And then, you know, obviously when he lost, we got the big lie, which was that there was overwhelming proof of an outcome altering manipulation of the election to favor um, Biden somehow. And there wasn't proof of that. So that was the big lie. And it really made it difficult to continue with the election security advocacy, because what the MAGA movement did is they equated any discussion of vulnerabilities with proof that somehow Trump had actually won the election. And of course, it's a non sequitur. The two, one does not prove the other. 
but that's how they would take it. And they were actually threatening election officials and using any discussion of vulnerabilities to justify the attack that happened on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. So it just made it very difficult to, to promote election security legislation because you can, if you can't discuss vulnerabilities, then there's nothing to fit. Then you can't explain why you need to improve the system. So I tried for a bit to keep pushing that. And when it didn't work, I decided to shift my focus a bit to the people who pushed the big lie because they had really derailed. I'd worked on this you know, all day, every day for the better part of three years, probably three and a half years. And really, it ruined my ability to effectively advocate for improved election security. And when I started looking into the people behind the big lie, two themes kept coming up. Um, one was Roger Stone, political consultant and longtime advisor to Trump, who was behind much of the big lie. And then the other, which was connected really to Roger Stone, was the Christian right and Christian nationalism, how they were much more involved with January 6th and the messaging of the big lie than the January 6th committee was willing to let on because the committee wanted to be bipartisan. And they had um, Liz Cheney, who was Dick Senator, who was um, former Vice President Dick Cheney's daughter, help, helping to lead the committee. And so she didn't want anything, any discussion of the Christian right. Therefore, there was really virtually no discussion of it in the January 6th report or during the hearings. And that became kind of an obsession of mine because I felt the public deserved to know that these were the, that it was truly Christian supremacists. It's not just all, it's not all Christians, obviously, by any means, right. um, but the Christian right in America was behind that. So I started writing about that. And then ultimately I, I started looking you know, into it and someone posted a video of these four men on a stage inside a stadium in Georgia with a big jumbotron in the background. And they were reading this sort of Christo-fascist screed. And it talked about the seven mountains, which I'd never heard of. And it got 3 yep. million views. Um, right. It got 3 million views from not from the right wingers. It was from left wingers going, what the hell is this? Because it was a packed stadium and they're reading this screed out, out loud on a jumbotron. And it turned out it was the new apostolic reformation. It was leaders in this, in this, Christian supremacist movement and network of Christian supremacist leaders that are very politically connected and that I started reporting on them. And then fast forward to my latest piece on Moms for Liberty, they I felt that people deserved to know that they had connections to these new apostolic reformation leaders and also to the Council for National Policy, which is another, it's like a, a Christian right umbrella organization that has, um, was also both, both the New Apostolic Reformation leaders and the Council for National Policy were heavily involved in the events of January 6th, and they are both heavily involved in the school board wars that are happening all across the country. And I felt that was something that wasn't receiving enough, enough attention in the corporate media. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you put this uh, kind of towards the end of your piece, you say the public must remain vigilant because the Christian authoritarian and uh, authoritarian zealots organizing against our public schools depend on the complacency of non-extremist voters while the corporate media has not done enough to expose the extent of the religious fanaticism fueling um, this assault. Um, and I think that That's is exactly. that is true. And I think that there's, yeah, and I think that so much of the corporate media and even mainstream, you know, mainstream that is not, not even not big corporate media, but there's also this sense, I think, in uh, say public, you know, mainstream journalism that, okay, these folks are just the crazies. And so we don't want to give them any attention. And it seems to me that that has allowed that movement really, you know, um, a buffer um, outside of the spotlight to kind of metastasize, if you will, um, and become a force to be reckoned with. Like you said, like we're embedded in the seats of power. That's my mm -hmm. sense of it. And can I, let me ask you this is when you first started 
seeing these connections. Did that come as as a surprise to you? Were you, were these folks even on your radar at uh, up until then? Um, I had never heard about the New Apostolic Reformation. Um, I'd never heard of the Seven Mountains Mandate, which is the strategy that the leaders. It's NAR is the abbreviation NAR. Yep. Leaders in the NAR promote something called the Seven Mountains Mandate, where they encourage, it's a strategic vision supposedly that came, supposedly came from God, where they encourage members of their church to head out into their, to actually step outside their churches and head into their communities and help them claim various all pillars of society for God. And there's seven that they list, um, which are business, government, family, religion, media, education, and entertainment. So this isn't just about taking over the government, by the way. It's worse than theocracy, which is a, mm-hmm. you know, would be a religious-run government. It's it's all aspects of of our culture and society. So it's that surprised me, yes, because I had never heard of them. I absolutely had heard of the Council for National Policy, and they had been on my radar for a long time because they have been involved in a lot of voter suppression efforts, and there was kind of an indirect link to a founder of the Council for National Policy, his family. So it wasn't him specifically, but his family initially funded one of America's largest voting machine vendors, which is ESNS, the vendor that the MAG is generally let off the hook and instead focused on Dominion. So yes, I was very aware of the Council for National Policy. Pretty crazy. Well, and I was not. I was that did not surprise me. I, I knew they were a problem. Yeah, and and it's. Uh, I think it has. It, I think a lot of people are be, have be, have had to become educated fairly quickly about uh, the seriousness of this movement. And I, you know, got to credit a lot of the work that you've been doing. Um, I know locally it's been absolutely essential, um, but really to uncover it. I mean, you know, I consider your Twitter feed really to be um, necessary reading to try to understand this just by kind of connecting the dots. But your latest piece for the Bucks County Beacon, um, Moms for Liberty and the Dominionist Assault on America's Education Mountain, is focused on one of those seven mountains, you said, really kind of really looking at um, That's right. what's happening with Moms for Liberty and the connection with these organizations. So can you can you kind of sketch that out for us a little bit. Like here's Moms for Liberty, the latest kind of, you know, newest emergent uh, group that seems to be assaulting public uh, public schools. But walk us through that, these kind of networks, if you will. Sure. So yes, Moms for Liberty has become sort of the most visible, um, I guess, attractive, physically attractive face of this movement. Like so many other groups in the Christian right that are trying to invade various aspects of our political system, they don't didn't upfront make it clear that they were Christian right or that they were motivated or fueled by religious fanaticism. So in that sense, I think they were, it was a little bit stealth. They were very much in people's faces, but mm-hmm. it, the religious fanaticism fueling them and groups like them was kind of kept on the down low, at least initially. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so obvious to me now that I'm not, I don't know that it, I don't think it is public it is broadly known, even now, the degree of the religious fanaticism fueling these groups. So for example, it was incredibly helpful, I think, for the Southern Poverty Law Center when it came out and designated them as an extremist group. I think that was very helpful. It really focused people on that organ- on the threat of that organization. But at the same time, there wasn't much, as much of an explanation, I felt, as there could have been about the religious extremism that was fueling the organization. And so it's really almost, I see two sort of broad categories that connect both to Moms for Liberty. And I'm noticing also in my home state of California, there's some connections to right-wing MAGA pastors 
that are invading school boards over there as well. And they have sort of the same connections that Moms for Liberty has to these two categories. And one of them is, is influential people who promote the, that seven mountains mandate mm-hmm. that I mentioned. So those would be, they're dominionists. They promote the idea that people need to step out of their churches and help take over, conquer these seven mountains of society for God. And in this case, it's the education mountain. And I noticed actually in November of last year, I noticed that one of the Moms for Liberty founders, Tina Deskovich, had appeared on a show for that's led by Wall Builders founder David Barton, who is a very, people are starting to, these are starting to become household names, actually, or at least for people who are on social media and are reading the articles. He is a big, he has been one of the top crusaders against the separation between church and state, saying that that separation is a myth. It was never, there was never meant to be a separation between church and state. And he's sort of this pseudo historian, religious fanatic who has gained a lot of popularity on the Christian right. And he's a Seven Mountains proponent expressly. He and his son, who also his son is named Tim Barton, is with Wall Builders, and they they have talked about it on their show. And um, Tim Barton also David Barton also belongs to an organization called Truth and Liberty, which is attacking public school boards in Colorado and beyond, and expressly talks about the Seven Mountains mandate on its website. So that was a huge red flag for me when I saw that Tina Deskovich in November of 2022 is when I saw it. I think she was on his show in September of 2022, that she was like cavorting with the wall builders guy. It's like, oh my God, that's a huge deal. And then I also saw that she was on a show with Jim Garlow, who is a NAR leader. So he's another seven, and he is another person. Everyone in the NAR promotes the Seven Mountains mandate, but I double checked and to find that he had expressly promoted it on, on video. So that was sort of, you know, two big strikes. And then Kira Resistance, who I'm sure you've heard yep. of, she's a Twitter um, open source investigator, open source research researcher. And she found that, or was the first that I saw anyway, that the younger Barton was going to speak during the Moms for Liberty Summit, which by the way, was in Philadelphia this year. And so that's, you know, three strikes. So it's getting a little ridiculous. There are some some parents, after I did my first NAR piece, which was, it was before people, many people were talking about it. So I did it in like August or June of 2022 some parents from Colorado had reached out to me because their school district was under assault by seven mountains people. And they'd read my piece. And one of those parents is a, is a guy named Rob Rogers, who's also on Twitter. And he's, I think maybe more active on Instagram, but he found that there was a connection between truth and Liberty in Colorado and moms for Liberty, that they were working together. So you can see that network right there. And that I hadn't seen reported by anybody else. And so I felt that that alone was worth reporting on. And then I had seen reporting, some of it by The Beacon was really excellent reporting on the connections between Moms for Liberty and the Council for National Policy, by which I mean groups affiliated with the Council for National Policy. And one thing that I think people are beginning to understand, people are hearing more and more about the Council for National Policy, CNP is the abbreviation. What they need to understand about it also is that it's an umbrella organization which means that the leaders leaders in most prominent Christian right organizations belong to the Council for National Policy. And that's where they go to co- so that they can discuss strategy with each other and collaborate with each other. That's one of the places that they go is to these Council for National Policy meetings. So you'll have the head of Turning Point USA, which is Charlie Kirk, and you'll have the head of the Family Research Council, which is Tony Perkins, who is the who was a former president of the CNP. And you'll have the head of the Leadership Institute, which is Morton Blackwell, they all they all belong to the CMP. 
So it is, but it is, so it's CNP affiliated or organizations and they're affiliated through their leaders belonging, appearing in the CNP directories. So CNP affiliated organizations seem to be bankrolling and supporting the Moms for Liberty group. And that was evident also during their summit in Philadelphia. When you look at the sponsors, you had um, the Leadership Institute, which is Morton Blackwell, who's, as I mentioned, is in the CNP. And you had the Heritage Foundation, whose founder was also in the CNP. And then um, you had the State (laughs) Pennsylvania Family Council, which is the state what the state affiliate of the Family Research Council, which is incredibly influential in these Christian right takeovers from of local politics. They're the so they're the state affiliate of the Family Research Council, again, and that's Tony Perkins, who was a former CNP president. So anyway, I felt like combining that with the Seven Mountains stuff was important for the public to see in one place. And that was 100%. what I hoped to convey. And, think, and then, of course... The, go ahead, sorry. No, I just wanted to say, and then I, I also thought it was important to include um, the parental rights slogan itself, that's, which that's is... That's exactly what I wanted to ask about. Yeah, the Moms for Liberty rallying cry derived from Christ, the Christian homeschooling movement. And that was initially reported by Richard Stoller, who I follow on Twitter, R.L. Stoller. I included a lot of his findings in an article that I did on on the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom and Michael Ferris. Michael Ferris is a Christian homeschooling proponent and very, very influential lawyer who was the head of the Alliance Defending Freedom until October this October this year, October, I think actually October last year. But he has, he founded two organizations, well, he founded an organization called parentalrights.org which has a sister group called Parental Rights Foundation. They have the same president now, a guy in Pennsylvania whose name escapes me, but they work with, they collaborate with Moms for Liberty as well on, leg- on legislation in, in Pennsylvania. And I saw that. So that was a group founded by Michael Ferris, who is on the Council for National Policy Board of Governors. And just a very, um, he, he's a little, he says things that make it pretty clear what the Christian rights objectives are when they're invading these public schools. And for, so, for example, he wrote a book where he said that Christians will know that they succeed when their, chil- when their quote, children engage wholeheartedly in the battle to take the land, end quote. And so it really is a Christian extremist battle to take the land that's, hap- that's going on. And Moms for Liberty is the latest, is just one front in that battle, the latest, maybe most successful front, although it took a major hit in this last election. Absolutely. And I th- what's interesting about that term, I mean, as you lead in there, you know, saying, look, this parental rights, uh, what's such a f- uh, fascinating, why that term is so fascinating to me is like one of its, as you kind of spell out in here, it's deep roots within the kind of radical kind of Christian communities um, that have been working to kind of defund public schools and to make publicly funded Christian schools and put them in their place in some ways. But it's also has they, that exactly. front facing appeal where when people hear parental rights, I mean, it's like this innocuous thing for the vast majority of people out there who are just thinking, yeah, I guess parents should matter. Exactly. And the thing is that the evangelical homeschooling movement, when they say parental rights, they really came up with it in response to the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which was to enshrine children's rights, you know, the right to not be beaten up by their parents in as yeah. corporal punishment and that sort of thing. And we're one of the only countries that is not part of it, didn't sign on to that convention. And that was largely the effort of Michael Ferris and, and his groups. He has a bunch of nonprofits. It's not just parental, the parental ones that say parental rights in their title. He also leads the, or founded the Homeschool Legal Defense Association 
And then, like I mentioned, he was leading the Alliance for Defending Freedom, Alliance for Defending Freedom until recently, the ADF, which was involved in overturning Roe versus Wade. So he's he's an incredibly powerful guy and very much a Christian supremacist. And it is his slogan that has now been used by Moms for Liberty. And most people have no idea that it's a Christian. This is the shiny, happy people. These are the shiny, happy people, people. So that documentary was very eye-opening. The Duggar family and um, the Quiverful movement where you have as many kids as possible and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's Michael Ferris. And that's where this all came from. And that's where it's all going. While people aren't being told that that's what it's about. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, what's interesting too as well is to see that um, Moms for Liberty has kind of gained a certain kind of foothold. And, and I think on the back of COVID, it almost seems like, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of Milton Friedman's famous, like, you know, dictate, right? You know, you're waiting, you know, when you have a crisis, when there's a crisis, what comes to the forefront, what comes to rescue are the ideas that are lying around. And the purpose of the right was to build those ideas, those set of ideologies and practices that would never be accepted in normal times, but in a crisis, people would be reaching for something to kind of help explain and to solve the kind of crisis that they're feeling. So for example, when COVID happened, it seemed like, okay, these folks were ready to go. I mean, they were ready to come in and say, who's the government to dictate to us these things? Who's the government? To, these schools are forcing their, you know, their agenda down us. They're trying to turn us into zombies. And it sounds like crazy stuff to the vast majority of people. But these folks had an organization and a plan to go right after public schools from the get go, it seems to me. Well, that's right. And Tony Perkins, who is the um, president of the Family Research Council, which I keep mentioning, he actually said that the COVID pandemic had it, that the silver lining was that it activated all of these parents to take on public schools. And it really was an attack on public schools, which people didn't realize at first. Again, it was in, in that sense, it's a very, it's a very stealth campaign. It, it appears the opposite because it's so in your face. They were so loud, but yeah. they weren't, they were stealth about the Christo-fascist agenda underlying what they were doing. So yeah, the Family Research Council, the other thing I want to say about them, because I just think that they really created the framework for these takeovers that we're seeing. And they it's this it's this strategy called culture impact teams, CITs. And so they encourage churches that align with their views to form these culture impact teams with uh, with their congregants. They look to see who's who are sort of the connectors in their congregation and to then use those to organize to go and take over the school boards. And that's how they made so much progress was because for one thing, school board elections typically are sleeper elections and probably don't have a lot of turnout. And so although the, this is, I mean, the Christian fringe is sort of a fringe in that there's, they're a minority of Americans, for sure. They're very motivated and so and they're, they're orga- and very organized because they can use churches, which are already meeting every Sunday. And so they were able to get this spike in turnout through the churches while the rest of us who aren't doing this, you know, maybe weren't voting right. in the school board elections. And I think that's how they got a leg up. But the thing is now people are waking up to what they're doing. And because they are a small minority, they're getting drowned out. And hopefully that trend will continue, but you know, they'll dial it down and people have short memories. So, and, and I worry, you know, in Colorado, I don't think they actually, well, I, I don't think that they were kicked out to the same extent as they were in other states. And that's really a shame because Colorado has been kind of a ground zero for the attack on public schools. 
and maybe part of it was because I don't know that Moms for Liberty was actually as uh, as front and center in Colorado, but it is the Seven Mountains Dominionists through that Truth and yep. Liberty organization that has collaborated with Moms for Liberty has been fueling the school board assaults there. And it's so there's there's much work to be done beyond just Moms for Liberty, but it was really good to see the laser focus on them. And I think that really helped in states like Pennsylvania, and it wasn't just Pennsylvania. I mean, it was- Iowa uh, was like, I mean, that, that was the big national story first about all the Moms for Liberty candidates who lost in Iowa. Yeah, they, they endorsed 13 and only one of them won. And then in Minnesota, all four that they endorsed lost. In Washington, all 14 that they endorsed lost. In New Jersey, they endorsed 19. Um, only four of them won. In Ohio, they backed 25, only five won. In Virginia, they endorsed six. Only one won. And then, of course, in um, Pennsylvania, they weren't express endorsements. I think in Pennsylvania, there was already backlash against exactly. Moms for Liberty, and the candidates knew it. They knew that if they if Moms for Liberty expressly endorsed them, that they wouldn't have a chance. So they kind of told them, for the most part, don't please don't endorse us. But it was apparent who it was that they who aligned with them because the Pennsylvania Family um, Council produced a, a voter guide that listed listed all the candidates and Moms for Liberty even listed the candidates in a tweet. So you could see who it was that they wanted to win. And they all put it this way, the Democrats swept all of the open board seats in both the Penridge district and Central Bucks district. So there were 100%. five seats in both that were up and they, it was all Democrats. So they won majorities on both of those boards. Absolutely. And you mentioned this and Jenny Stevens had gotten a hold of the, uh, um, you know, the questionnaires from Moms for Liberty showing that even if Moms for Liberty was not explicitly endorsing specific candidates, you saw what they're, you know, here they were answering, yes. oh, yeah, we're on board with your thing. And it's interesting you bring that up because in, in the Penridge School District, we had two of the board members um, who were, I mean, they might as well have been reading off of like Moms for Liberty cue cards um, in board meetings, but they would were disavowing connections with Moms for Liberty altogether, precisely for the reason that you just point out. So, I mean, I do think that's, I do think that's been really significant. So I, I want to talk a little about kind of like going forward from here, but one of the things that I thought was interesting um, that echoed a strategy uh, you, you talked about this, what was it called? Cult, cultural impact teams that are happening in churches. And what was, fast, what was fascinating about that, when I've been watching some of these, the videos that you've been posting and so on, I'm remembering back in the 1990s, I remember Ralph Reed from the Christian Coalition um, did, ran an mm -hmm. experiment in Pennsylvania um, around um, electrical, electrical deregulation like looking to uh, uh, deregulate the electrical grid. And his, his thought was, well, where are our people? Right. And where are they located and what are their centers of power? And they were churches. Right. And of course, he was already connected to these churches. And so they did this kind of covert behind the scenes move to see if they could motivate normally non-voters right out to vote for something they normally would even mm -hmm. care about. Right. And would actually work against their interest. And he was successful. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems to me that that's a strategy that has been pretty consistent for decades now among the radical right, um, that they're very yes. good about organizing effectively through the churches and their associated, say, councils or organizations so that they can keep their nonprofit status, but also kind of being overtly political about their goals. I mean, I, I it just it's just a long the track. Pastors record. are forming PACs. That kind of, I mean, I am not too up on the IRS rules about what activities churches can engage in, but it seems certainly it's violating the spirit of the idea that these, that churches are not supposed to engage in political activities to have 
pastors in California and I'm sure other states. That's just what I'm looking yeah. at at the at the moment this week. But they they formed their political packs to specifically endorse specific candidates for the school board. It kind of that kind of blew my mind. No, yeah, and as you mentioned in your article too, we just had in Pennsylvania just last week too as well. We had the um, Liberty Pastors Training Ground, right, where they're explicitly bringing out these radical right pastors to you know to train their congregation about how to be effective in politics and building those connections with politicians, um, so that you know they're overtly doing it. It seems at this time. I think a lot of that was about. I mean, I'm I'm kind of guessing, but George Barna is a he's a pol- a Christian right pollster, and so he was one of the people who came to Pennsylvania right before the election, this last right before this last election, and I, I mean, I'm guessing they were working on messaging to the churches, primarily to the churches, but I'm sure they expand beyond the churches too. But they're trying to get a hundred percent turnout from their churches. Well, there you go. So yeah, so yeah, but, so that I. The other groups that are sort of doing similar work to Moms for Liberty, Patriot Mobile is connected to Seven Mountains Dominionists as well. They made a lot of inroads in Texas. And then I mentioned Truth and Liberty is expressly a Seven Mountains Liberty organ Seven Mountains mandate organization. Turning Point USA, that's Charlie Kirk. He once there he was caught on video saying how great it was that Trump seemed to understand the Seven Mountains, or he may have called them the Seven Pillars. It's the same. It's the same thing. They're sometimes yep. called the seven pillars of culture, the seven. Rafael Cruz is the father of Ted Cruz, and he's a Seven Mountains Dominionist. And he does weekly, at least as of last year, he was doing weekly Bible study for Patriot Mobile, which was involved in the <clears throat> Texas school board takeovers. And yeah, Lance Walnow, who's that NAR leader I mentioned, he's the one who actually popularized the Seven Mountains mandate. And he was bragging that in South Lake, Texas, this is in my article, that there, you know, he may have been taking credit for something that wasn't entirely him. I don't know. But he was saying that they had a hundred thousand, that a thousand people turn out to take over the school boards and the mayor and the city councils. And that people, what he was saying is that people didn't know that it was a church initiative because they called it a community initiative. And I thought that was really interesting and really underhanded too, because people deserve to know what they're, what they're buying. (laughs) You know, if you're selling them something, they deserve to know what they're buying and they're trying to hide it, which is not okay. I mean, if people want to vote for that, that's their right, I guess, but, but they should know what they're, what they're getting. So I thought that was really telling. And yeah, I think we're going to have to, they're going to make it a lot harder to track the extremist roots of what they're doing. And there was a piece that came out, I think it's the Texas Observer today about Texas and the network. It's it's tracing all the different PACs in Texas that were supporting school board candidates. And it kind of, in, to an extent, it sort of blew my whole theory. I had it all in my mind, this neat little package. It's the Council for National Policy <laughs> and the Seven Mountains people. And that made me think, okay, well, I can tell people to look out for, look at the state. You can go to the Family Research Council's website and you can say, see where the state policy groups in your state and then see who, see what they're up to. And then you can kind of trade what they're up to with the school boards and stuff. And you can kind of figure out what's what. But in Texas, I'm not sure if that's true. It's just, there were so many, it was so many packs, but Mm -hmm. I, I have a feeling Somewhere in there, it's the it's the seven. Well, it's certainly Lance Walno is right. claiming credit for it, and he's a Seven Mountains guy, and probably the Council for National Policy is all over it too. But they're really, really underwater there. I hope they can turn it around. Yeah. And Florida also is really, you know, at a certain point, you take on too much water to to recover, and right. I hope that's not the case. Well, you know, 
I know this is this goes a little bit beyond your article and things like this, but this is uh, we talked a little about this ahead of time. Is like you know uh, your article dropped a couple of days before the election, as I said, and now we have these elections with these massive, pretty significant losses by uh, Moms for Liberty candidates. And you know it's always good that you can do that kind of radical Christian math that they do they do because according to the Moms for Liberty, you know they won 40, 40 to forty five percent of their seats, even though the numbers just don't add up as you've kind of laid it all out. I believe it's, I believe they won 30%, somewhere like 30%. Yeah. So they lost 70%. Well, who's really Depends counting on, you know. when you've got God on your side? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. And frankly, the numbers are, I think it's actually worse for them because they're, like I said, in I do too. In Bucks, in Central Bucks and Penridge, they didn't expressly endorse these candidates, but everyone knew who, who it was that they were supporting and that they all lost. So I actually think it's worse for them than, than they're, than the, sheer numbers show and the sheer numbers are bad for them, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I agree. No, no, hundred percent. So what I'm curious about is this, I mean, I know that there is a certain degree of elation, especially from parents and community groups and um, you know, who've been working tirelessly to one expose what moms for Liberty is doing in their school boards and then to campaign, build candidates, build organizations, door knock and everything to push back against moms for Liberty. And these were legitimately huge victories. I think that were unexpected in, in many ways. And some folks would like to see this as, okay, we finally, we, we push back Moms for Liberty, right? And we just sent them back. We sent them packing. I'm not so sure. I, I think they've, they're gone. <laughs> so I'm curious to get your take on like, okay, is this a significant setback for Moms for Liberty and the Christian right agenda as it's been kind of developing as you're seeing it? Or are they just going to double down and um, really kind of push back hard in the 2024 and beyond? I think it's both. I think it is a significant setback for them. I think it's embarrassing for them because Moms for Liberty was so obnoxious about the progress that they've made across the country and Republican candidates were sort of not necessarily school board candidates, but maybe in the legislatures were wanting their the support from Moms for Liberty. So they were sort of the darlings of the Christian mm -hmm. right. And now they're pariahs. And so I think it's embarrassing and it was a huge setback for them. At the same time, it's, it's not just about them. I don't think they're going to go away. But more importantly, the religious fanaticism that is fueling them is not going to go away. And even if even if Moms for Liberty left, it would just come in a different form and people wouldn't realize that it's really it's all the same thing. And that's kind of the, that's kind of a point I wanted to make is that it's easy to get Moms for Liberty made it easy to put a target on them. And it's helpful to know who it is you're battling. And they really put themselves out there. And that actually was helpful in some ways. But it. You can. It's not just about the individual groups, Moms for Liberty, Patriot Mobile, T Turning Point USA. They're actually all the same thing. I mean, they're all really these, I hate to say, religious fanatics who have always hated public schools and have always wanted to replace them with private Christian academies and homeschooling. And it's the same people. It's, it's Betsy DeVos. There'll be new names will continue to come up. And for the most part, the people that have wanted to take to um, attack LGBTQ rights in the schools and in the courts and all that, it's these religious extremists. And yeah, they're not going to go away. But if you have to look at a group as sort of the mothership, mm -hmm. I really think it's probably still the Council for National Policy. And no, they're not going to go away, but they have had a setback. And they've also, in a way, had a setback with Mike Johnson being elected as the House oh, Speaker. Because he has, yeah, he has connections to these two groups as well, as be, as is being reported, these two categories mm -hmm. that I keep talking about, the Seven Mountains, Dominionists, and the Council for National Policy. That's in my article too. And it's also been reported elsewhere in bigger publications. 
And that is, I think, waking up the American and interest causing more interest in the American public in the Christian extremist agenda and movement and what's happening to our country. There's a connect that I think is still missing, which is that somehow Trump has been unscathed by it. Like people aren't connecting him to what's happening with the, with abortion bans and the the school, you know, the attacks on LGBTQ community, Um, maybe because it's so obvious that he's secular himself mm-hmm. that he he himself is probably he's probably an atheist is my guess he, i don't think but, he even thinks about religion <laughs> at all yeah. yeah he probably hasn't even gotten that far to decide but he's he's gotten a pass but the thing is he as much or more than any other republican predecessors has empowered the christian fringe especially by giving them judges that align with a lot of their worldviews on the supreme court and other courts I don't think that that message has made it out to the public yet. So people are sour on the rulings Mm -hmm. that are coming out of the Supreme Court, but they're somehow not making the connection to it being Trump's fault that he put these people on the court and it was obvious where they were going to, what they were, how they were going to rule. Interesting. I mean, I think, you know, I I wish I could remember where I heard this. I heard someone talk about this and something clicked for me. Um, We were talking about the, the, where Trump fits in and all this and Apparently, I, again, I, I, I hate speaking in generalities like this when I can't pin down where my source is, but um, somebody was mentioning, he's like, you know, look, there's some of these groups that I believe that they just need their Caesar, <laughs> right? Um, they just, and right. that, and Trump fits that bill. It doesn't matter if he's a believer or not. It doesn't matter whether he's, you know, but he's the, he can be the one that, I, you know, I, I mean, the way in my terms, I would put it. Right. He's the, he's their imperfect vessel. Yeah. That's a lot of the seven mountains dominionists. That's actually that's in our leader, Lance Wall now, who he called him their Cyrus, their King Cyrus or something. Yeah, there yes. is a quote about that. Yes, that's that's the seven mountains people. Um, yeah. And the, the reason, by the way, why he he empowered these people was it was a quid pro quo. Mm-hmm expressed or implied, I don't know, but the idea was that they would give him their unwavering support. And they have, as we've seen, as we saw on January 6th. And as we see now, they're still in his corner. So he gave them really unprecedented power, both in his administration and on the courts. And we can expect more of that from a second Trump turn. He lo- he loves to be worshipped and they worship right. him. Right, 100%. So, so let me let me yeah. ask you this then, just a way to start kind of closing out. I know I've kept you longer than I, <laughs> than I promised, but one of the, one of the um, things you just mentioned about we have a new Speaker of the House, and so I guess these are two connected things. And one, if I'm hearing you right, say this has a potential, right, not by itself, just by a fact, but has a potential to put a target on these organizations in a way that we've been able to do with Moms for Liberty if that work is being done. So I guess that's the first part. Am I hearing that right? And then secondly, do you think that organizations and people on the ground that are are working against this are are making these connections, right? Um, are understanding the degree and the seriousness of these, you know, seven mountains dominionist um, at this point and think that we actually need to combat them directly and bring this out into the light? Um, I'm sorry. What was the, the first part was, first part, you are t- you reading? Oh yes. I think, I think actually it could, yes. Putting Mike Johnson it's in, is the house speaker has the potential to wake a lot more, a lot of people up to the threat of the Christian right and what their actual agendas are, their anti-democratic agendas. And, you know, the, the majority of the public is, is not particularly religious in America. And so this is not, the way that these people think is not the way that most Americans think and their priorities don't jive with what most Americans want by a long shot. And so I think that in that sense, there's a possibility for some good to come out of it. I mean, it's just like when Jug Mastriano ran in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, 
some Democrats were glad because he was such a religious zealot that it was going to turn people off. And it did, but it was risky because what if he had won, you know, that's, that's the balance. So it's not great to have Mike Johnson as the house speaker, but there isn't, now that he's there, there is an upside, which is that it's waking people up to this. And then, um, I'm sorry, what was the second Yeah, I'm just thinking, are you seeing people making these connections and beginning to organize around that overtly? Yeah, absolutely. So certainly, I mean, the the Colorado parents who reached out to me, to a large extent, a lot of what I know, like the culture impact teams, I'd never heard of it until Melissa is one of these, the moms, she told me about it. In Colorado, they absolutely were making those connections. I think that the candidates, unfortunately, in Colorado didn't want to campaign on opposing the seven mountains mandate for some reason they thought that would be too divisive and there's too many maybe there's too many christians in colorado already that they didn't want to tell people that that's what they were fighting and then so therefore they lost so i think there's a but the parent yes the parents there absolutely know and in california they reached out to me also some parents in california they absolutely know it's the seven mountains people 100 percent um i imagine in pennsylvania that's that they know, but I don't know for sure because I actually, oddly enough, haven't spoken with parents groups there, but I know that there were a lot who really worked really hard on the ground to oppose those groups. And it maybe it's enough to just have the Southern Poverty Law Center label them extremist groups and to know about the book bans and the anti-LGBTQ policies. It should be actually enough. Mm-hmm. But whether they all read, read the beacon, whether people who read the beacon and read my work or other or otherwise came to these conclusions, I can't say. Oh, great. Well, listen, I, I, I really, one, appreciate your time, and but more importantly, appreciate um, the work that you're doing. And uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, I mean, your work has really been indispensable for, you know, those of us and um, organizations and parents and community groups who here have been trying to piece together and try to understand, like, what the hell just happened to our school boards, <laughs> right? This seemed like come out of nowhere. And then to understand, to be able to kind of organize and to push back. And, you know, the significance, uh, the significant victories here, I hope that is going to continue. We had some other school districts uh, right on our borders in Souderton and Telford and in Kutztown um, that went the other way and very much on the same board. And I know that some of the parents groups who have already organized in Central Bucks or organized in Penridge and some of the others have already been reaching out to those groups um, to make sure that they're sharing information, which is precisely what I hope comes out of this. Um, that's again, the upside um, to this really uh, dangerous movement. I think that's right. Um, I'd like to give you just a quick quote Please. from a CNP co-founder. His name is Gary North. And what he said is, this is the Council for National Policy co-founder, Quote, we must use the doctrine of religious liberty to gain independence for Christian schools until we train up a generation of people. And then there's um, there's a bunch of stuff in the middle, but a generation of people who will get busy in constructing a Bible based social, political and religious order, which finally denies the religious liberty of the enemies of God. So they are using the doctrine of religious liberty to gain power so that they can deny religious liberty to everybody else who doesn't agree with their particular views. So I think that's just a really telling and really chilling quote. And it summarizes, I believe, what we're dealing with. I'll have to say, I feel the chill as you read that, <laughs> believe me, um, seriously. Well, Jenny Cohn, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. Thank you for your work. I want everybody to make sure you check out her latest piece in the Bucks County Beacon and all her writing. Her latest piece is called Moms for Liberty and the Dominionist Assault on America's Education Mountain. Check this out in the Bucks County Beacon. And remember to follow her on that platform X, formerly known as Twitter, at, at Jenny Cohen, C-O-H-N, Jenny with a Y, Jenny Cohen 1, 
and on Mastodon at Jenny Cohen at toad.social. Um, Jenny, thanks so much for joining me and uh, have a great rest of your night. I'm looking forward to reading your work every day. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much. You got it. All right, everybody. This is Kev Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, we are out of here for this evening. Great start to the week. Um, looking forward to so much more to come. Thanksgiving is almost upon us. Here we go, everybody. See ya!